Right now, many churches are planning their budgets for the next fiscal year. You can promote your confessional Lutheran church and support the worldwide outreach of issues, etc. by becoming a congregational sponsor. When your church pledges $1,000, we'll publicize your congregation on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Learn more on the support donate page at issuesetc.org. Don't miss your congregation's budget deadline. Become an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Supports of same-sex marriage were very dedicated. They lost the ballot box 32 straight times before they prevailed. I don't agree with the outcome, but I do admire their persistence. I think pro-lifers should show similar persistence in the future. Cults are notoriously controlling and manipulative, and I think the woke movement really operates similarly because they seed such foundational lies, both anthropologically, what a human person is, but also spiritual lies. In our current culture in the United States of America, there seems to be an abundance of preoccupation on the state to the extent we see the other estates of family and church being neglected and in decline and deterioration. Once we surrender a objective truth outside of us in the scripture, an objective truth outside of us, I am baptized. I receive the body and blood of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in, with, and under the bread and the wine. When that goes by the wayside, then what I'm left with is my feelings. Wisconsin turkey producers love issues, etc. It is a hymn that many of us will be singing as we gather for a day of national Thanksgiving this coming Thursday, Thanksgiving Day. It's a hymn that begins about one kind of a harvest and then very quickly becomes about a very different kind of a harvest. It starts with the fruits of the earth, and then it talks about the fruits that only God can bring forth from his field, the world. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc., live on this Monday afternoon, the 20th of November. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll be studying the hymn, Come Ye Thankful People, Come. Pastor Will Whedon of the Word of the Lord Endures Forever will be our guest. Then it's time for part three of our series on the Lord's Prayer with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. We'll deal with the fifth, sixth, and seventh petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Pastor Will Whedon is assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois, formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. He's author of the book Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. And he hosts that daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Will, welcome back. Thank you, Dot. Why does the church celebrate what is at least in its origins a secular holiday, like a national day of Thanksgiving? That is such a great question. I was discussing it with a friend not too long ago, and that reminded me of a certain line that came up in a novel. So let me get at it sort of in a backdoor sort of way. Are you a fan of murder mysteries? Yes, I actually am. Uh-huh. Have you ever read the murder mystery called The Nine Tailors? by Dorothy Sayers. I have not. I got to tell you, you have to read this one. You know, one of the things that really irritates me in murder mysteries is when, well, like Conan Doyle always did with Sherlock Holmes, where he is privy to information that you don't get as the reader. So a really good murder mystery makes you see the facts all along the way. The author rubs your face in who actually did it, right? Well, that's what 
The Nine Tailors by Dorothy Sayers does. I think it is the greatest murder mystery ever written. But in the middle of that murder mystery, which is also just a great novel, in the middle of it, the young Miss Hillary Thorpe observes to the rector's wife her distaste for these harvest festivals. She says, you know, putting up all these spiky bits of corn in church and vegetable marrow, it just looks unseemly. And the vicar's wife, Mrs. Venables, she agrees, but adds, so it is, but the village people like it, you know. Harvest festival is their festival, Theodore, that would be Mr. Venables, always says. I suppose it's wrong that it should mean so much more to them than the church seasons, but it is natural. Well, old Vicar Venables is right as rain there. It is the people's celebration, and it is natural. And that's readily apparent if you have ever been blessed to celebrate a harvest festival, a Thanksgiving festival in some rural community. Unlike young Hillary, I actually love Thanksgiving. It is a celebration of a natural rhythm, to be sure, but it's taken into the church, and we remember that this alternation of seasons is actually God's ordinance and will, right? Genesis 8, verse 22, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. And then in our own particular culture here in America, in 1789, after the adoption of the U.S. Constitution, George Washington, our first president, appointed Thursday, November 26th as a day of national thanksgiving. And then it was celebrated here and there in the intervening years. But in 1863, in the midst of the most horrible days of the Civil War, President Lincoln appointed a national day of thanksgiving, and every president since has appointed this to be the fourth Thursday in November. The common service book, the old English service book for Lutherans, says that the proper service for this day is the order of matins, and they provide it a collect for the day. So even though it has its origins in the natural world and in the secular world where, where our government actually asks us to celebrate a day of thanksgiving, it is taken into the church and it is transformed into something more than just a thanksgiving for the good fruits of the first article. They're there. That's an important part of life. But we see beyond that that those fruits always point beyond themselves to the second and the third articles. And this hymn is a masterpiece of taking you from first article to second and third. Let's talk about the fact that some people look at this and they say, well, we're going to talk about its biblical origins, but they say it doesn't have any explicit gospel in it. It becomes about Judgment Day, the final mm -hmm. harvest here. So Mormons can sing this one. What is different about our understanding of a hymn like this and about the final day, Christ's return in judgment, that the Mormons just don't get? Well, I think that, uh, number one, they, they don't understand the one who is speaking. The, the, the hymn itself is based on the words of Christ, right? I mean, you're going to see that as we work our way through it. In detail, the author of this piece just lifts phrases and words from Christ himself. And the comparison of the harvest of the earth with the harvest of the last day is Christ's own. It's something he teaches us in the Holy Gospel. So recognizing that, we will see that it's a very uh, Christian hymn 
And if a Mormon sings it, I think the point that we're going to differ with them on is that the basis for which we can be confident in singing, even so, Lord, quickly come, is that we know that in Christ we have been justified. And we know that the one who's coming again as the judge of the entire world is the one who paid for our sins on the cross. That may not be explicitly stated in the hymn, but it is the understanding that provides the, the peaceful tone of this entire hymn. Where did it come from? Who wrote it? Henry Alfred was an Anglican priest in the 19th century. He was a textual scholar of the New Testament, and he was really more famous as a hymnologist than as a hymn writer. He only lived to be 60 years old. So he's younger than you and me, Todd. I think that's right. Are you 60 yet? I will be very soon. Oh, okay. All right. So you're younger than me anyway. (laughs) His hymns were characterized by Pollock as being cold and conventional, yet evangelical and liturgical, with poetry that is musical and, as Pollock said, free from affectation, obscurity, and bombast. The hymn first appeared in Alfred's 1844 Psalms and Hymns, which was a hymnal that sought to provide suitable texts for every Sunday and festival in the church year, including after harvest. He wrote in the preface for that work, most of the collections of psalms and hymns used in our parishes contain many sentiments at variance with the recognition of the baptismal state of a Christian revealed in scripture. And besides this first and most important fault, the restless and morbid tone of feeling prevalent among sectarian bodies has been found to accord but ill with the quietness and the confidence which will ever be the inheritance of the faithful. Now, that quiet confidence of baptismal grace, in contrast to like some of what you read in the dissenting bodies in England at the time. That's what his hymnody sought to express, and I think actually expresses very well. We also know something about the composer of this tune. Can we talk about that briefly, too? Sure. Okay. So, um, George Elvey was born in 1816, but six years younger than the author of the text. And he was uh, born in Canterbury, England, and he sang at the cathedral school in Canterbury as a lad and was trained there as an organist. He was only 19 when he applied for and got a position at St. George's Chapel, Windsor. There, he served to the end of his musical ministry, teaching music to the members of the British royal family, composing music for royal events and for the church. And he held his position all the way up till 1882. He died in 1893. His tunes are among the most popular in the English tradition. This is the guy who wrote Diademata, that is, crown him with many crowns. He wrote St. Crispin. We think of that as God loved the world so that he gave, or Jesus, thy blood and righteousness. And this one, St. George's Windsor, also used in LSB for songs of thankfulness and praise. What are the primary biblical texts here? You mentioned it just a moment ago. Yeah, okay. The primary biblical text really is Matthew 13. And picking up at verse 24, he put another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat 
into my barn. And then a few verses later, Jesus explains the parable to the disciples away from the crowd. He said, the one who sows the seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the sons of the kingdom. The weeds, the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. The reapers are the angels. And just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels. They'll gather out of his kingdom all that causes sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear let him hear. When we come back for the break, we will hear the first stanza. Come, you thankful people, come. Raise the song of harvest home. All be safely gathered in ere the winter storms begin. God, our maker, doth provide for our wants to be supplied. Come to God's own temple. Come, raise the song of harvest home. How can Christians live out their faith in the church, the family, and the government? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November, Faith That Shines in the Culture. It's written by regular guest Dr. Alfonso Espinosa. Learn more about Faith That Shines in the Culture at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Faith That Shines in the Culture, the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November. Psalm 144.1 Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Those serving in the armed forces want LCMS chaplains. We need courageous pastors to bring the gospel and sacraments to those protecting our nation, along with wise counsel and the peace found only in Christ Jesus. If you are between the age of 26 and 43 and have a heart for ministry in the armed forces, call 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Old Theology, New Technology, you're listening to Issues Etc. Please know that you are welcome at Ascension Lutheran Church in Niles. We believe that every word of Holy Scripture is true. Jesus died and rose again for your salvation. We pray for each other. It's a priority. We help each other in times of need. We help each other grow in faith. We encourage one another. We truly love one another. We have room for you and those you love. Such an open church. Niles, Illinois. The Christian religion is not like a buffet line, a modern smorgasbord of beliefs offering a wide range of tempting choices. Rather, it is the good deposit handed down to us in the scriptures through the history of the church that we might believe and confess who Jesus Christ is. To learn more about Pick and Choose Religion, pick up your copy of the November issue of The Lutheran Witness. To subscribe, visit cph.org witness or learn more at our website witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective.
That's the choir of Girton College with stanza one of the hymn, Come Ye Thankful People Come. We're studying this hymn with Pastor Will Whedon. Will, get us into this first stanza that, as I noted, by itself could simply be a first article of the Apostles' Creed commentary. And let's just pick up that first article to remind us of some key words from there. I believe that God has made me and all creatures, that he's given me, among other things, my body, soul, eyes, ears, all my members, my reason, my senses. He still takes care of them. But he also gives me clothing, shoes, food, and drink, house and home, wife and children, land, animals, and all that I have. He richly, he daily provides me with all that I need to support this body and life. And all of this he does only out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy and without any merit or worthiness in me. And for all of this, it is my what? My duty to thank and praise, serve, and obey him. I think you need to hear duty there, like the, the Anglicans say, in, uh, in, uh, when they say, it is our duty and delight to thank him. And so it is indeed our duty to thank and praise him. And thanking and praising really seems to require not just one person sort of feeling thankful, but a group of people coming together and singing out their thanksgiving to God. That's the biblical picture. So first article indeed, think about Acts 14. Do you remember that Paul and Barnabas had just arrived at uh, Lystra and they'd healed a man who was crippled and the crowd went crazy. The people thought the gods have come down to us in human form. And, you know, they were, the priest of Zeus was bringing along a sacrifice and garlands. They were ready to offer sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. They go out to the crowd crying out. They tear off their clothes to show them, look, we're just people like you. And they said, men, why are you doing these things? We are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed the nations to walk in their own ways. Verse 17, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons and satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Luke adds that even with these words, they barely were able to restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. So there, Paul clearly says, even to the heathens, look, the one who is the source of all the good things you've enjoyed in life, particularly the good gift of food and drink and rains for your fields and to be able to drink water, all of this, he is the one who is the source of it. We're introducing you to the one who actually is the one you need to give thanks to. I also think this first stanza reminds us very much of Psalm 67. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth will fear him. So this beautiful recognition that in the gift of the earth's fruitfulness, we are tasting the goodness and kindness and love of God for humanity. And this does indeed call forth thanksgiving. Psalm 100, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Or similarly, a few psalms before that, Psalm 95, the great Venite Psalm of Matins. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. And all of this sort of reflects 
the liturgical customs which Deuteronomy laid down. Deuteronomy 26, verse 10 and 11, and behold, now person with the fruit of the ground they're bringing to God, behold, now I bring the first fruit of the ground which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given you and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. So this fundamental recognition of the gift as being a gift from God and so returning thanks and praise to him for it, above all for these good gifts of food. Same thought runs in Psalm 145. The eyes of all look to you. You give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Quickly before we go on to the the second stanza, you and I have spent the better part of our pastoral careers in rural America. We, I live with fields that are actively being farmed and harvested within eyeshot of my front door, my back door, and every door of my house. But a lot of Christians live more distant mm-hmm. from the field that we're talking about here, these things that the time of harvest. I know when it's harvest because when I drive home <laughs> at night, I can see combines in the field with their lights kicking up the dust. But a lot of people don't have that connection. Speak to that a little bit. Yeah, I think it's one of the saddest things of our modern world where we've come so disconnected from all of the natural cycles, from sunlight. You know, we make darkness go away by flipping an electrical light and having, you know, a switch and you have light in your your house. But you really can't get away from the rhythms in which God created this world. And so the farmers indeed among us, they live much closer to these rhythms than a suburban dweller does. And I think that makes them all the more keenly aware. Just before the show started, Jeff made the comment to me that the farmers, man, they always remember that, hey, (laughs) it depends on God giving the good gift of rain. It depends on God giving the good gift of sunshine. And it's not something that we can mechanically work our way around. It does depend on God's giving. And I think that there's just a rural connection to that truth that tends to be obscured and overlooked if you think of your food as coming primarily from the grocery store rather than your food coming from the giving of God in the field and in the flock. The second stanza, and here we transition to Christ's parable. All the world is God's own field, fruit unto his praise to yield, wheat and tares together sown, unto joy or harvest grown. First the blade, and then the ear, then the full corn shall appear. Grant, O harvest Lord, that we wholesome grain and pure may be.
stanza two of the hymn, Come Ye Thankful People, Come. Where would you begin on this second stanza? Well, he obviously pivots using the Lord's parable from Matthew 13 as sort of his key verse. So Matthew 13, verse 38, the field is the world, the good seed is the sons of the kingdom, the weeds are the sons of the evil one. All the world is God's field, and it's all been planted. And one of the things planted in the field are these good seeds, the children, the sons of the kingdom. And they are known by being unto his praise. They literally exist to offer praise and thanksgiving to God. Think about Hebrews 13, verse 15. Through him then, let us continually offer up the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. You hear all the the mishmash of images from agriculture blending in with the cultus here, with our praise and thanksgiving to God. Similarly, uh, you think about Joel chapter 2, verse 26 in the Minor Prophets, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And when you do that, what will you do? Praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wonderfully with you, and my people shall never again be put to shame. So, Even the eating and the drinking and being satisfied, it's not finished until it's accomplished in praise, until praise and thanksgiving is offered to God for the gift. Or similarly, Ephesians 1, verse 12, we who were the first to hope in Christ Jesus that we might be to the praise of his glory. Remember Franzman's great line on that, that there may be men whose life is praise, each life a high doxology unto the blessed Trinity. Uh, Back to Matthew 13 again, while his men were sleeping, His enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat, or tares. The hymn uses the King James Version there. Tares among the the wheat and went away. So you have both weed and wheat, but they're sown together either unto joy. The end of the wheat is joy or sorrow. The end of the tares is sorrow. When you think about the end of our lives being joy, I can't help but think of the key verse Isaiah 35, verse 10, that the ransom of the Lord will return and they will come to Zion with singing and everlasting joy will be upon their heads. In other words, crowned with everlasting joy. They'll obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. These are the people who receiving the first article gifts, knowing the giver and who he is and that all of this is given to us because of his great love in Christ, offer thanks and praise to the blessed Trinity. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. We are studying the hymn, Come Ye Thankful People, Come, on this Monday, November the 20th. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about that second stanza and get into the third. Stay tuned. week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we continue our study of the book of beginnings, Genesis, with a pleasing aroma, God blesses Noah, sign of the covenant, Noah and the wine, and descendants of Japheth. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Are you thankful for the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc.? 
please consider making a special Thanksgiving gift. You can make a secure online donation at issuesetc.org. You can also contribute by check. Make your check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. For a year-end contribution of $250 or more, we'll send you our forthcoming book, Objections Overruled 3, and a new recording of 15 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. This is Pastor Matthew Harrison, President of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The LCMS operates the second largest parochial school system in the United States. What can you expect from a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod school? There's one race, the human race. And Jesus died for the sins of every man, woman, and child from every land and every nation. Life begins at conception. All life is precious from womb to tomb. And every student, parent, and teacher is created in the very image of God. There's right and wrong, and we know which is which from the Ten Commandments. There are only two sexes, male and female, he created them. Marriage is the lifelong union of one man and one woman. There's such a thing as objective, absolute truth, and it's found in the person and work of Jesus Christ and his word. To find a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod school near you, visit lcms.org schools. Solid. Serious. Substantive. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Bethlehem Lutheran, Sylvan Grove, Kansas. Faith Lutheran, Georgetown, Texas. Holy Cross Lutheran, Moline, Illinois. Emmanuel Lutheran, Perryville, Missouri. Mount Calvary Lutheran, San Antonio, Texas. Peace with Christ Lutheran, Fort Collins, Colorado. Shepherd of Peace Lutheran, Maumel, Arkansas. St. Mark Lutheran, Waco, Texas. St. Peter Lutheran, Clintonville, Wisconsin. And Trinity Lutheran, Wichita, Kansas. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including issues, etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support, Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We are studying the hymn, Come Ye Thankful People Come, with Pastor Will Whedon. Will, before we move on to stanza three, I did want to point out that often, and I think sometimes unwittingly, the parable upon which this prediction of Christ's second coming and judgment is based is a little misapplied because Jesus says the field is the world. <laughs> Not the church. He doesn't say the field is the church. And I think a lot of times we just get a little sloppy and say because there are, and it is in fact true, that there are both believers and unbelievers in the visible pale of the church, that that's what Jesus is talking about here. But he's really talking about believers and unbelievers in his creation. In the creation, yes, absolutely. That's actually the point that you bring up there is one, as you well know, made by our Lutheran confessions themselves. Uh, you know, the confessors were sort of being called on the carpet for their definition of church, and the opponents came back with, you know, this parable and says, come on now, there are unbelievers in the church, but the the response of Melanchthon was, yeah, Jesus said the field is the world. <laughs> and, and 
in the strict sense, there are no unbelievers in the church because the church is composed of those who have been given by the Holy Spirit wrought gift of faith in Christ. And obviously, in the looser sense of the word church, yes, it's a mixed company. But it's wrong then to basically jettison the practice of church discipline by saying, oh, well, you know, Jesus said not to pull up the tares. He said not to pull up the tares from the world. And that's a very different thing. That's going to be the angel's job at the end of time, separating out, if you will, true from false that way. The other thing is that this harvest, Jesus always speaks in extravagant terms, Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's about money, you know, talents and things like that. And then he ends up calling 10 talents, which is like 200 years wages, a little at the end of that parable. The harvest with Jesus is always way oversized. It's outside. You know, and honestly, I have to confess, I did not know this. It was our dear deaconess here at LPR that called me up short on this in one of my podcasts where she's like, ah, uh, that's not how it works on how much. I thought, well, Jesus said that you can get a hundredfold. <laughs> and and uh, one of our farmers in the congregation said, yeah, I'd like to find that seat. <laughs> It'd be pretty sweet to have that. So uh, apparently Jesus is indeed exaggerating there to make the point that God's giving in this harvest is just way outsized. And that's the way it always is with him. I want to add one more thing before we leave this stanza. The poet was so careful to sort of follow Jesus' words that he also invoked um, another parable of Jesus from Mark 4. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So, you know, that parable from Mark 4 is sort of folded into this text um, almost verbatim. First the blade and then the ear, then the full grain shall appear, full corn shall appear. I just want to underline that the pastor was so living in the word of God that all of these images about grain and seed just sort of coalesce together into the hymn for him, and he just freely borrows from all these sayings of Jesus. And finally, he did also mention Lord of Harvest, which is a direct quote, like from Matthew 9, verse 38, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And this goes, right? I mean, Jesus, that was Jesus' own words to the apostles right before he himself chooses his 12. And then also in John 4, Jesus says, don't you guys say there's four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I'm telling you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. He's talking about all the people from that little village of Sychar filtering out to see him after the woman went back into the village and said, come see me, a man who told me everything I ever did. He's like, look at this. The harvest is happening before your eyes right now. Stanza three, for the Lord our God shall come and shall take his harvest home. From his field shall purge away all that doth offend that day. Give his angels charge at last, in the fire the tares to cast, but the fruitful ears to store in his garner evermore.
would you say about this third stanza? Well, I mean, right away, again, just notice all of his scriptural words that he's using. The Lord our God shall come when the Son of Man comes in his glory, the angels with him from uh, Matthew 25, 31 or Mark 8, 38. Anybody that's ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Again, Luke 9, 26, whoever's ashamed of me and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of his Father and of the holy angels. So you also go right back to the parable that we were basing this on. He goes right back to Matthew 13. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And, of course, when Jesus unpacks it, the harvest is the end of the age. The reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, that's how it's going to be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they'll gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace, unto joy or sorrow grown, as we heard last time. There is sorrow at the end if the word has not borne its fruit in you. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And also running through this is the words of John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he'll clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn or to the garner, if, if you use the King James. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Or how earlier in Matthew 3, John had urged the people, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And Jesus would say later in the Sermon on the Mount, if the tree doesn't bear good fruit, it's going to be cut down and it's going to be tossed into the fire. And of course, clearly Mark 4.20 is in mind too. Those who were sown on the good soil are those who hear the word, they accept it, they bear fruit, and then those those numbers that we were just talking about, 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Jesus himself would say, every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and if a branch does bear fruit, he's going to prune it so that it may bear more fruit. That's how the Father is glorified, that we bear much fruit, and so prove to be his disciples. We recently had a guest who I think rightly pointed out that Marriage was invented by God for many purposes, but it was invented primarily to confess the gospel of Christ and his church so that Christ and his church really come first and marriage follows that pattern in God's creation, which is, I think, a great way of thinking about it. That The reality, if you will, I'm not trying to... To be platonic. Platonic, but but the reality is Christ and his church. Right. And we are merely getting to participate in the object lesson as husbands and wives there. Do you think the same is true of the harvest, whatever it may be, that God says in his divine wisdom, I'm going to be doing this thing at the last day, so I'm going to give them something as a continual reminder of what's coming. Yes, 100%. And especially because the harvest only comes about after you take the seed and bury it in the ground, right? And then from that, it looks like you've wasted it, like you've thrown it away. You could have eaten it, but instead you took it and you tossed it into the ground. And out of that comes this abundant overflow of gift. And so ties up the exact same way also with the people say, same thing about like the Our Father if you're talking to God about the fatherhood of God, they're like, I mean, I had a horrible father. You don't know how that, that offense. I was like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Our earthly fathers are all, all defective images of the one holy father, the perfect father. So in the same way, 
yes, the harvest that you see are happening around you in the world, it's all pointing you towards the day when there will be the gathering in of the people of God into the final harvest home. We're studying the hymn, Come Ye Thankful People Come, with Pastor Will Whedon on the other side of the break. Then thou, church triumphant, come, raise the song of harvest home. All be safely gathered in, free from sorrow, free from sin. There, forever purified in God's garner to abide. Come, 10,000 angels, come, raise the glorious harvest home. How can conspiracy theories become a form of idolatry? I've written a column for the latest issues, etc., a journal titled, Yes, Elvis is Dead, But God is in His Heaven, a pastoral response to conspiracy theories. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Julie Stegemeyer writes about her path from Methodism to Lutheranism. The free online issues, etc., journal, issuesetc.org. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com. LutherAcademy.com. Educating a new generation of Lutherans. You're listening to Issues Etc. At Memoria Press, the Simply Classical curriculum is specifically designed for students with significant learning challenges. This complete program includes everything you need for a school, self-contained classroom, tutoring, or homeschool to make a classical Christian education accessible for any child. To learn more, visit us at simplyclassical.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. Join Lutherans for Life and Why for Life in Washington, D.C., Thursday, January 18th through Saturday, January 20th, for the 2024 Why for Life Free Conference. Registration is open through December 15th. Learn more at why4life.org. Great events, speakers, and social time. The 2024 Why for Life Free Conference, January 18th through the 20th in Washington, D.C. Why4life.org. final stanza of the hymn, Come Ye Thankful People, Come. We are studying this hymn with Pastor Will Whedon. If you enjoy our hymn studies, please make a year-end contribution to Issues Etc. 
For a donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our forthcoming book, Objections Over Ruled 3, Answering Arguments Against Christianity, and a new recording of 15 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a gift by giving us a call, 618-223-8385. You can also make a secure online contribution on the support donate page at issuesetc.org. Thanks for listening, and thanks for including the worldwide outreach of issues, etc., in your year-end giving. Well, what would you say of this final stanza addressed to the church and to the angels? Yeah, you know, it, it's addressed to the church in the version we just heard sung. In our hymnal, they actually altered that just slightly, and uh, they basically picked up a line from the book of Revelation, Even so, Lord, quickly come to thy final harvest home. So in the, the original, it's like the church triumphant is singing its song that, Oh, we're all home at last! But in the, uh, the the version that we have in our current hymnal, it celebrates much more. Come, Lord Jesus, and gather us all in at last. So there's a slight different bit of perspective there. And it's particularly telling. Even so, Lord, quickly come is very much word for word, basically, out of Revelation 20 to verse 20 in the King James. Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. It's right there. And, of course, this cry for the Lord to come quickly and save us, it rings through the Psalms, too. We begin matins and vespers with that versicle from Psalm 70, verse 1. Make haste, O God, to deliver. Make haste means hurry up, O God, quick, do it quick. Deliver me, make haste to help me. Psalm 50 speaks about God gathering his faithful ones to him who have made a covenant with him by sacrifice. And Zephaniah 3.20 says, at that time, I'm going to bring you in at the time when I gather you together, and I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Jesus describes this same event in Matthew 24, verse 31. He'll send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. They will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. And they're gathered into this free-from-sorrow, free-from-sin world that's described in Revelation chapter 7. They shall hunger no more. They shall thirst no more. The sun's not going to strike them or any scorching heat. The lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He's going to guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And the way of describing as being gathered into the garner, it's really a separate image, but the same idea that when Jesus says in John 14 in the Great Farewell Discourse, in my Father's house, there are a lot of rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will bring you to myself, that you may be with me where I am. When the Son of Man comes in his glory with all the angels and gathers his people home at last. So with just a minute or two here before we hear the entire hymn and get your final thoughts, this does not present a fearful, Mm -mm. this is very comforting, this notion of being gathered in. The the word that kept coming to my mind was safely gathered in. Safely. Safety, (laughs) finally safety from all the things that have so plagued us throughout this life. What are your thoughts there? And remember when Jesus said, you know, how often I wanted to gather you together like a hen gathers her brood under her wings and and you were not willing. That's the kind of picture of the gathering that's described here. Under the wings of Jesus, underneath his outspread arms to protect and guide his people. This is the picture 
that's presented. And when that's our ache, when that's our desire, when what we want is to be free from sin and free from all the sorrows of this world, then you've got nothing to fear about that day of judgment arriving. He's coming to gather you into himself. That's why he's coming back, to bring you safely home. Safely is a great word. Let's hear the entire hymn. Come, you thankful people. Come, we'll get your final thoughts. Him, come ye thankful people, come. Pastor Whedon, with a few minutes, what are your final thoughts? When I think of the way this whole hymn wraps up and the certain confident nature of the, the last stanza, confident that the Lord coming is going to be good news for us, I think it really ties back to a point Luther loved to make in his sermons for Advent 2, where he would say, you know, look, if you want to be free from your sins, if you want to be with him. If you want the sorrows of this age to be over, you have got nothing to be afraid of on that day. 
When that day arrives, you're going to be inside Psalm 30. You're going to be saying, you've turned for me my mourning into dancing. You've loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. That's the word of a person who has been longing to be home and has finally been brought home. And I think that harvest home, the big word there is home. You've been brought now into the home which Christ has won for you and prepared for you and where you will abide with him forever. Pastor Will Whedon is assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois. He formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. He's author of the books, Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. And he hosts the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Will, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Todd. In Hour 2 of Issues, etc., on this Monday, November the 20th, Pastor Brian Wolfmiller joins us. We're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer, part three of our series with him. Stay tuned. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Do you long for a church that celebrates the divine service with reverence and joy, but without the unbiblical baggage imposed by a supposedly infallible hierarchy? Do you long for a church that confesses a divinely instituted office of the holy ministry for the giving of the Lord's gifts to his people and yet values and lifts high the priesthood of all believers? Welcome to the Lutheran Church. We're what you've been looking for. Find an historic, authentic church near you on the Find a Church page at issuesetc.org. Hi, this is Pastor Clayton from Zion Lutheran Church of Mascuda, Illinois, a proud supporter of Issues Etc. Zion is a congregation firmly grounded in God's grace given in the Word and Sacraments where we treasure the timeless beauty of the liturgy. Zion is also a vibrant, young, family-friendly congregation where you would be warmly welcomed. Zion is located at 101 South Railway Street in Mascuda, Illinois, and we would love to share God's gifts of grace with you. For more information, please visit our website at zionmascuda.com. College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep, scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com.